independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, music fans. My name is Joe Armstrong, and thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all blessedly without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Monks of Doom. In the great and colossal tree of music, there are many, many branches. And out toward the tall leaves on the side that faces the highway to psychedelic oblivion, there exist bands and artists that truly follow their own sun, regardless which way the wind blows. Monks of Doom grew out of the late 80s California experimental music scene that birthed one of the original indie rock juggernauts, Camper Van Beethoven. As Camper started to build a fan base and garner industry attention, it seems that the band's peculiar blend of gypsies on acid folk and angular psychedelic pop weren't quite experimental enough for Camper members Victor Krumenacher, Greg Leischer, Chris Peterson, and Chris Mola, the latter of whom was soon replaced by their friend, session musician and eventual member of Counting Crows, David Immergluck. Indicative of their fearless approach to creating music, Monks of Doom's 1987 first album, soundtrack to the film Breakfast on the Beach of Deception, was a mix of improvisational instrumentals and quirky songs from a movie that didn't actually exist. After the dissolution of Camper Van Beethoven in 1990, Monks of Doom entered an artistically fertile period that saw the release of two albums and an EP in the span of less than a year. But even with a devoted fan base across the country, the grind of relentless indie-level touring and minimal label support took its toll, and the band amicably split in 1992. Solo projects from Krumenacher and Leischer followed, and a 1998 send-off performance after Peterson announced the move to Australia put the band once again in the same room, fomenting an atmosphere for Monks of Doom's legendary chemistry. The good vibes were an epiphany for the band, and perhaps inspired by the reformation of Camperman Beethoven in 2004, Krumenacher, Leischer, Immergluck, and Peterson figured out what they already knew, that Monks of Doom makes music on their own terms, when and where they want, and the band has been sporadically active ever since. The band's most recent album, 2018's The Bronte Pin, is another beautifully strange chapter for a music ensemble built to expressly exemplify being beautiful and strange. A quick side note on the chronology of this episode of Independence Day. The members of Monks of Doom are gracious enough to stop by our world headquarters and record this interview and these performances after a long day of tour rehearsals in May of 2018. This episode, along with several others which I look forward to sharing with you soon, were temporarily mothballed after the death of a close family member. Sometimes, the hole that the loss of a person creates in your life is too large to comprehend, and you've got to step away for a while. With my most sincere apologies for anachronisms, I am elated to finally bring to you this episode with this amazing band. Welcome to Independence Day, Monks of Doom. Hello, gentlemen. Hey. Hello. Hello. How are we? Fantastic. Good. Good. We have Californians in our midst. We have an, like a, an expatriated, would you call yourself an American in uh, Australia or still American? This year, I'm, I'm wondering if I still should. Yeah. yeah. I have that. He's a traitor. <laughs> I'm still American. I, I do have an Australian passport as well. So oh, that's I'm half cast. That's pretty cool. Let's go down the line and introduce people to the listeners to who we're dealing with here today. On my right, your left, not that you can see anybody, we have Victor yeah, Krumenacher. Have I got yeah, that right? Yeah, you got it right. Victor Krumenacher. I am the bass player of Monks of Doom, I guess. That's what I do. And then and uh, sing. Yes, Greg Lischer. Greg Leischer. Leischer. Oh, I was so close. Guitar player. Pretty close guitar player. Very good guitar player. And Mr. David Immergluck, commonly known around town as Emmy. Correct. Nice yep. to see you. Thanks, man. Nice to see you, too. And, and Chris, Chris Peterson. Peterson. 
Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah. First off, I just want to say, aside from thank you for being here, I know you guys had a re- long rehearsal today, and we're kind of sneaking this in under the wire. It's already dark. It's, it's the time of the year where it goes. The sun sets late. So thank you for sticking around, coming over to do this. I appreciate it very much. Sure. Also, thank you, because I do a pretty immersive, I try to do as much research as I can on every guest. So I spent a lot of time this morning in between other duties, kind of listening to what you were doing, and it's so much fun. Like, just, right. like listening is fun, so I can't, it's got to be fun to do this. It Absolutely. is actually that's why we do it. Not doing it for the money. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody is anymore. <laughs> no, uh, definitely not. Uh, it's it's funny. There's I've been telling the story a lot. I had. Uh, do you know Mojo Monkeys? Uh, David Raven is the drummer. I know uh, David Raven. David Raven and uh, uh, and uh, what's his name? Taras Pradanyuk. Oh, who, I know Taras. Yeah. Taras. Uh, sure. They they moved out to L. A. You know, in the late seventies, early eighties, and do gigs around town. Hey, cool. Got a gig. Hundred bucks. Cool. And then they were, we were talking to them when they were on the show last year, and they're like, yeah, now we go do a gig around town. Hey, I got a show, 100 bucks. Yep. Oh, yeah. No problem. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If. Here we are all these years later, and it's like the economies of scale just haven't shifted, which tells me one thing. No. You guys are doing this because you love it. Oh, yeah. I Capital mean, L. Yeah, there's, I, you know, I, I do actually make some money playing music, but whatever I make tends to go back into doing yeah. music. Um, and, like, this is... Uh, you know, I think in many ways this may be the best band I've ever been in. Um, oh, sure. They all have their they all have their merits, and I, you know it's hard to play favorites. But I, I it it's a joy. You know, we hadn't played in five years until yeah. uh, January. Was it five years, something like that? Something like that. And we played, and it was just going. And when it goes, it goes. And yeah, because you have a long your history goes back almost as far as the other band, which you kind of started as an offshoot from, which was Camper Van Beethoven, right? Which is where I first learned about you all those years ago. Sure. So uh, it's only just a few years after that started that Monks of Doom started. Well, within you know a couple of years, you know Camper's a pretty precocious group of people, and I think you know in truth anybody in that band could probably be their own band leader. Yeah. And so there were just a lot of ideas floating around, and it was that just kind of... T- and also, you know, we were just kind of dumb in, in our 20s, and it just yeah. seemed like, well, let's go do something else. Yeah. Um, and it turned out to be very liberating and very fun, and unfortunately, like, really competitive, too. And, you know, and things, you know, I mean, when you're in your 20s, you don't really understand yeah. what you're doing. But... You know, I look back on it, and it's like it's really good music. And I think the one thing that this band's got going for it is it never really did anything other than make music for the sake of making music. Yeah. It didn't have much more pretense. I mean, there's plenty of pretense in it, but not much more than right. just that. You know, commercial aspirations. Yeah, the commercial. Yeah. We aspir- did. We did do a lot of grueling touring back in back in the day. Oh yeah. You know? um, but yeah, it was you know it was all about the music for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it still is. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And you guys are in a situation where you guys are in a lot of different projects. Oh, yeah. Of respectively, each of you have got a lot of different things going on. So that affords you the ability to then come back to this whenever it feels right to do so and have that kind of brotherhood and that chance to kind of get, for, I hate this phrase, but get your rocks off, just kind of making music because you like to do it. Well, Not that you don't like doing it in your other ensembles either, but it's, it seems like a different situation, a kind of a special thing. Yeah. Oh, this is Emmy here, but this, this, uh, the, the band definitely has its own entity. And so when we get, we, you know, we might not play together for five years or whatever sure. it is. And we get into a room and it happened today too. It was like the first rehearsal. And since we, we played a gig in January, one gig, we got in, we played one song. It's like, Oh yeah, there's, there's the monks of doom sound, which is unlike any other yeah. project that any of us are in, you know? Yeah. And, um, so it has its own identity, and it's you know we, as the years go on, it's like I, I personally cherish it. It's like wow, this is a really unique thing, yeah. and the fact that we can 
you know, we get along very well and our bizarre esoteric senses of humor and musical taste are still, are, you know, getting weirder, honestly. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's just, it's great when we get together um, and this, it, it has its own identity. I've heard other people talk about that, about bands, you know, that they're in that like, oh, there's this other, other thing that happens that, you know, yeah, the yeah. identity of the band is, it's, it's a group mind type of thing, you know. And yeah, then, there's that concept. Again, this is a greeting card philosophy, but like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, yeah. which, you know, because I, I, I know other projects. I listened to Counting Crows records. I've listened to Camper and Beethoven records since sure. high school. Yeah. You know, I had a cassette tape of, I think, Vampire Can Mating Oven somehow. Or in Chicago, we wound up with that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it was very DIY, which is another fun reason to have you on the show. We'll talk about that in a little bit, because sure. you guys were like indie before indie was indie. Like indie became a bin. We're still... Remember yeah, that happened. That happened in like with the advent of Nirvana. Yeah. It became a genre of music. Before that, it was like a, a sort of an underground movement. Yeah. You know? Um, like the, it seems like I mean, it was first it was called alternative and then alternative became Bush it seems like right alternative it, initially it seems like was a band or a bin back remember bins right. in record stores remember record stores where used to work uh, in them. Anyone, yeah. right I did too any band they didn't know where to put them wound up in this catch-all at the time at the very beginning you know it was camper van beethoven and it was even u2 and it was rem and it was cowboy junkies sure. and it was elvis costello and it was all these bands that weren't quite like rock like bloated arena rock and it wasn't metal and it wasn't pop and it wasn't jazz it was just any it was like a catch-all and i liked it when it was that you could kind of be anything and then that seemed to kind of industry seemed to kind of box that up and put a ribbon on it it seems like co-opted it yeah yeah i remember i remember this happening actually because there were were two distinct markets well even before that i mean when camper started touring um very diy yeah um, you know, making phone calls to the venues to get gigs, things like that. Yeah. And eventually, there's small booking agents that would do that for you. Right, and, right. Uh, but still, very, very sequestered away from the commercial side of the you know the rock yeah. arena side. So, and at the top of that heap, in my view, anyway, at the time was REM. They, they seemed yeah. to be the top of that heap of DIY, yeah. even though yeah. they yeah, weren't that's really. Right, that's right. R- REM. They, they, they started they that, were, you know. We sure. shared their, their early sound man became our sound man, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, there's a big sort of family, extended family of people, and, and of course uh, houses that would put you up when you yeah. couldn't get hotels. And well, there were. It was all the college radio station circuit. So right. either you had a song on the, on the college radio station, you had an audience. It was yeah. simple as that at each of the gigs. Yeah. The internet kind of broke it. It, but it, it also it, it but it also no, it happened way before the internet. You no, know, well, it, it was it breaking. I'm just talking. It was already sinking, right? Yeah. The, the, the ship had already struck the iceberg, but then it was like torpedoes came in, and that was that was just kind of the end of it. Now it's it's empowered bands in a lot of ways too. It's given you oppor- us, I should say. It's sure. given us opportunities, but it's way more work, and the economies of scale have not kept up. Well, this is Victor, and that you know, I mean, you. This is the interesting thing about you know being in a band with David Lowry and Camper Van Beethoven because you know he teaches basically he's an economics teacher, and we talk about this. You know, the economies of scale don't work. You know, as we were talking about off mic earlier, you know, we are essentially playing playing for the same amount of money that we were playing right. for twenty five years ago. I just did you know a budget. We have a tour starting this weekend. And I just did a provisional budget for it and just anticipating what we're going to make, you know. Uh, and I mean, I make the same amount playing as a solo artist. The only time I really make money playing live now is with Camper. And that's, you know, that's hard to do by the time yeah. we fly people in. 
you know, have to do a series of shows, we're sleeping on the bus. You know, we do make it work, but it's, uh, it really, you know, if I think about how much my house inflated in 14 years of owning it, right? there's it, nothing close to it, you know, yeah. and I think, so yeah, I think the internet is empowering, but I also feel, I have this weird love-hate relationship with it. I like the direct dialogue with fans, I, en- I actually enjoy that aspect of social media, but then, you know, there's the malevolent side, you know, we can talk about like, you know, we could do like the Robert Shear rant about they know everything about you, or we could basically get into like the devaluation of what we do. Right. And I think the thing is, one of the the joys of playing with this band is we get together and like we're very fluent and we speak a language together that, you know, every band I am in that is a good band has its own unique language. This band has a very unique language. When we were playing today, you know, the there's an interaction that's going to happen with these guys that doesn't happen with anybody else. Any musician worth their salt knows that, but it's not, it's not rewarded. It's not even, you know, when I was raised, that was something that adults talked about, right? I grew up in a, around a lot of people who listened to music and enjoyed music, and I got pretty good taste in music as a result of people like my father and my cousins who were, you know, listening to music in the 60s, and it, you know, there was osmosis. That, that, fluency that ability to speak isn't really rewarded now and it's and i think it is in part due to the internet and it's yeah it's unfortunate it's just because attention spans are shortened and people uh, are just hard, deluged it's hard sure. to get people's attention I, yeah. I can't imagine being if we were you know 18 years old right now with this band how we would go about getting people's attention but for for us it's like you know well we have you know, 30 years of uh, playing together. Or I, maybe it's more. I don't know. I think um, it's more. Uh, now, yeah. um, but uh, so it doesn't really matter. You know, I don't really care about that. I care that we get together and play. And, yeah. You know, In, that, indeed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's also, you know, the, the language, we speak the same language. And there's also a, there's a really important thing about playing with the same people for that amount of period of time. You really start the, <coughs> that's something that can't be replaced by yeah. anything mm-hmm. other than time yeah. spent yeah. playing together. You know, and that's that's where that identity of a band or right. of a group of people, you know, it really pays off right. if you stick with it. It's know? like that ten thousand hours concept. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. people yeah, something, much, it's something like that. Right, musicians slightly more their, supernatural though. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to distill no, yeah. it, but there but is, is the ten thousand hours thing. But, yeah. but musicians do that on their own. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Then there's this whole extra level of getting together with various other musicians and how that yeah. chemistry, to your point, that supernatural oh, yeah. aspect of how that happens. Every particular group of musicians has that unique thing and some some just click more than others you know it could be it could be very voodoo it's almost a brainwave thing it, it's right it's totally voodoo i play in with greg well i mean all these guys work on in my solo work but you know chris and greg and i and sometimes mer and camper as well you know how chris and i play in camper is different than how we play Our with the monks right. how greg plays with me in my solo band is different than how he plays in the monks which is different than how he plays with camper the just the the particular combination of each individual in the band right. has a huge effect, and I, you know, I, for me, it's just still I can't I can't get enough of it. I still can't get enough of it. I still, yeah. you know, I that's a wonderful thing. Tired, I come like yeah. I don't want to rehearse. I got to drive to L.A. This is uh, you know, this yeah. Why? And then yeah, it's a great day. I am the same way. I, I've tr- it's like I've almost I've tried to get out. Yeah. I've tried to stop playing. I never sold any of my gear. 
But I got to a point where I was like, all right, I'm tired. This is I'm yeah. You ain't, yeah, the band, you ain't the, going the, the nowhere. The twenty seventh hundredth band implodes. True. Oh like, yeah, uh, yeah. So like, it can I, be disconcerting and you know you yeah, get really uh, disheartening. You know, it's like you know this you know? people get married and you get older and there's all these other trappings of life that come in people's health issues and people moving away and all babies and things happen. These are all these are all life things and things that can coexist with a band. Chris can speak to that, right? Oh. They, yeah. But then the band falls apart. It's like I'm, I've had it. I'm done. And I. Yeah, sure. and, but then it's it's the day after I say that I find myself screwing around on YouTube looking up a pedal. Oh yeah. Looking up like oh, oh shopping oh, you're gonna, you're for gonna like, buy, you're gonna buy that Mellotron. Pedal yeah, I totally am. <laughs> and and then I think like oh look at this. I've been looking for an accordion. And then I spent the next day. I spent six hours playing accordion. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, I'm putting a band back together or putting a new band together, sure, and I'm yeah. off and running again. Sure. It's like sure. it's, I can't. It's like a compulsion. Sure. Oh, it's I a total can't compulsion. Not I, you do know, it. The, nothing, nothing can compare to it. You know, the act of playing music. Yeah. You know, when done properly, it's hard to you know describe it to someone who doesn't. Yeah. Experience it's, it. And know. it's not just the music; it's the fact that it is an ensemble. Right. It's, it's the thing is like you could play by yourself in your room, and that's that's awesome, and you can yeah. do all that thing. But it, oh, ensemble. Yeah. There's nothing, yeah. nothing like yeah, an yeah. ensemble. Yeah. And that's something. Kind I, of communication. That's, uh, Chris, that's a really that's an interesting point because uh, it's something, Victor, you mentioned a few minutes ago is that it's the, the economies of scale thing again. When you go out as a solo artist, oh, yeah. you can make a little more money. Oh, sure. And like, that's kind of like the crime. Like I know Freedie Johnston a little bit, and I know yeah, yeah. Uh, Willie Porter a little bit, and I know a lot of these cats who make albums with bands, mm -hmm. but then they, they could kind of afford to go out as a band, right. but then they'd come home without any money. I, mm -hmm. I, I can. I'm sure you can relate. I can intimately attest to that as yeah. somebody who's, you know, I've worked quietly as a solo artist for 20 years, you know, and I just made a decision at a certain point that I was just going to do it in my own. I was going to release the yeah. records myself, and I gradually, especially in Northern California, have built a pretty nice audience. And now, actually, you know, I make money doing it usually in with a band up there. Yeah. But it's just really in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm yeah. hoping now that I'm kind of in LA Metro, I can recreate that down here as well and just kind of grow the state yeah but conversely i play with my pedal steel player bruce Kappen and greg as a trio and every time we've done that i i've made money because i play house parties or whatever right. and like that works and that actually works in kind of the economy of scale fashion the more i've done it the more they get offered to me i it's a great network but I'm playing in people's homes. I'm playing yeah. in people's living living rooms. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but you ripped Greg off on that gig, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Anyway, why don't we hear? You've got a, congratulations in order. You've got a new record. We do. Right. It's called the Bronte Pin. Yep. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Bronte. Bronte. Bronte yeah. I, I even looked it up today. Like my whole life, I've been saying it in my head. I think the wrong way. Bronte. <laughs> Well, Amy, uh, Amy's Charlotte distantly Bronte. related to them. Am, yeah. Oh, that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm distantly Second related to twice removed with my mother. We have a the pin on the cover of the record is a heirloom uh, that my mother owns. Very nice. Yeah. I've been told that I am distantly related to Jesse James. Oh, not the not go. the cyclist like chopper guy, yeah, right. like the actual like the actual Robert maybe, Ford. Maybe you ripped Greg off on that. Might have been game. my ancestors. <laughs> Could have been. Anyway, all right. So the band this week on Independence Day, Monks of Doom. They've got a brand new record, The Bronte Pin. Check this out. This is the song, The Bastards Never... What, what did I swear to say? I wrote that too crappily. I can't read it. So, the Bastards Never Show Themselves. That's right. All right, sorry. My handwriting is so crappy, I can't even read my That's own writing. Good. Trying to do this quickly. The Bastards Never Show Themselves, Monks of Doom on Independence Day.
My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. Come to you Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Pacific time. This week's guest, so happy to have Monks of Doom. Started off kind of as an offshoot, but they've got their own identity. They've been around a very, very long time, and they're very, very good at what they do, as evidenced by that track. They're going to play some live songs here in a few minutes, but let's talk about this the making of this new record. First off, you guys have how many records? I totaled this up. Get up uh, what it, so, so I think we had five, five up until ninety three. Yeah, five until ninety three. Layoff for a while. Yeah, we, we took some time, and then we, you know, uh, the monks has always been a a kind of uh, a covers band on a certain level. I mean, not like only covers, but we like to play covers. Um, and we'd kind of started making right. a covers record in ninety two when we were still signed to IRS, and we did a record called Forgery. And somewhere along the line, Emmy and I started talking, and we did a covers record that's called What's Left for Kicks, and that came That in was in the mid-2000s. 2004, 2005? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And that only took 14 well, years? Well, that was, that was a weird one, because we, Chris came out, we did a sh- couple of shows, but we did a session, and we recorded like five right. new covers, right. and then we had, that went really well. I was like, well... What else do we have in the... We had some other ones in the vault. We had some live stuff. We had some live stuff from 98. That record is a weird mosaic of like Mm. some old live recordings with new overdubs put on them, like Cavalry. Sure. Had some new stuff. I recorded a couple basics in Sydney. Right, exactly. For Light in the Sky. Light in the Sky and the 15th. Chris sends out... 15th, that's right. You sent out the drum track with no... Like Light in the Sky with no music to it. And it's like this insane arrangement. And then we put the music to Light in the Sky to his drums. Tra- he, 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 I, I imagine Chris alone in the studio playing the entire song with every weird dynamic tempo shift on it. This is a Steve Hillage song. Yeah, it's not okay. a crazy, song. You, know, you know, psychedelic prog gong tune. Um, um, and, 77. Uh, yeah, and, and he plays the drum track, including the weird atmospheric tempo free ending <laughs> and then i i re- vaguely remember you and challenge. me and victor and i in victor's bedroom yeah. studio uh you know putting it together or putting the music together on it and then uh, greg came over you know it was, it's a biz- that was a really bizarre way to record and if you listen to the track it doesn't sound that way at all no um, right but well, that's the pre that's the record before our latest right. record well, then, but, go ahead come sorry, so, victor, well, well so bronte pen in 2009, right? I think it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was the year I got my dog. I remember this. You're yeah. like on a Def Leppard cycle. Yeah, yeah it's it in a Def like. Leppard cycle. So. And so we played Camp Out, right? Is that yes. correct? The Monks of Doom played yes. Camper Band Beethoven has a festival that was in near years. Joshua Tree in Pioneer Town. We've been doing it for, this is the 14th year coming up this fall. And the Monks, Monks of Doom played that in 2009. And I had been making a lot of records at fantasy studios and i was like let's get together and just go in the studio for two days and we'll improvise and maybe we have some stuff greg actually had some stuff and but i had just vague ideas snippets and so we went in the studio for two days and basically improvised and then when we left bruce cappen who's kind of He's worked with me on all my solo records and a lot of other projects. Just basically gave me the drive with all the Pro Tools files and kind of slapped me on the back and said, good luck. <laughs> Go to it, son. And I did. And it just, again, 
I didn't feel like we were particularly on when we were in the studio, but there was something going on. And I, within a couple of days of screwing around with the drive, had a couple of things that were really good. And then I think we decided to do a couple more, right? So, yeah, well, so I, stuff I, like uh, the Bastards was actually one of those. Bastards, yeah. jam I, in the studio. I actually wasn't, if I may, uh, like the first thing we did, okay, we set up to do Sancha, and we just, okay, well, we'll let's do a jam first, and that is the Bronte pin. Right. Well, that's the Bronte uh, pin, it's, one and, and two. And the Bastards was also in yep, that jam right. somehow, yep. and it was like a piece that was extricated out. Yep. And, and, um, and so three pieces came out of this 30-minute jam that jam. we did yeah. and it's like whoa and again it was like oh yeah there's that okay. box of doom entity again yeah yeah you, you know so mechanical it's raw state you mechanical know? question uh, forgive me for interrupting but now are you actually just taking those snippets and then building stuff on top of those or are you uh, taking those snippets and then kind of relearning them and then uh, building like oh we built re- on top of them man, okay so actually yeah, using man. those tracks yeah. as the basic and track. then adding things to it i mean there's, there's no rules there were no rules yeah. it was, it was uh, you know the bruce uh and I were talking about this. We did a, another interview about making this record, and Bruce is like, you know, one of the really refreshing things about you guys that I recall is that there may not be any idea on the table, but you just trust that when you go into the studio, something will happen. And I think that's a lot of what went on. I was, you know, I was really thinking about st- stuff that I'd been listening to. You know, there was some Radiohead stuff where I had read about them making it, and they're like, we just went and turned on the tape machine. And I was like, well, that sounds as good yeah, as let's, anything. Let's, let's see what happens. And see yeah. what happens. Because we hadn't really done that. There's but, some rough frameworks. Greg yeah. had 23rd century, so, what became 23rd century. And Sinking of the Essex. And Sinking of the Essex were that, were, that and, oh no, the 100. That, that was later. That was later. That was later. Yeah. Yeah. But there were. Yeah. I, we I, had vague frameworks, like, you know. There's some other st- uh, outtakes that too that yeah there uh, were a we few really explored. Yet. It's a courageous way to work. It's great, kind of crazy, it's refreshing. It's, you know? And it's also refreshing. It's, it's but especially even financially now, like a lot of things have become a lot cheaper in the music business. But this, the the uh, U87 still costs what a U87 exactly. costs. Yeah. Well, right? we we use that for two days in the studio or whatever. Well, it was two days. At two fantasy, days at right? fantasy. Yeah. We had that expense and then the messing around with it was done in home right. studios yeah. for the most part yeah. right 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 but i, I but i mean right. uh, just going into the studio and doing that even trusting two days worth sure a lot yeah. of bands oh, yeah. that's going to be all yeah. their basic tracking Again, you have to have, I, and, and you have to have 30 years of playing together yeah, yeah. Right. and that's what i mean like a lot of bands you know rehearse 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 go in bang 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 record 15 Ooh, basic the, tracks in a couple days and take, then take it home and overdone. The recording devices do not like the rehearse, rehearse, rehearse thing. The yeah. recording device likes the discovery. You, no, no, you I figuring agree. out what uh, what the thing is. I agree, you know? but it's, it's but like it's, people again, make that, that mistake. There's a lot, that I phrase think. again: that economy. I agree with you 100, yeah. percent but that economies of scale thing comes up again. Yeah. A lot of bands yeah. don't have the courage, or especially in a town like Los Angeles. I, I, my experience is the everybody's vocabulary. in 700 yeah. bands. Yeah. Right. Sure. Not everyone has. What you four guys have? No, the but ability to have a group that you have the simpatico, you, their brain sure, waves are connected. Thing. There's, it's there's a, there's, sure. there's some specific history that I think is important about the decision to make the Bronte pen the way we made it. One is, you know, Emmy worked with a guy named Don Smith, who also uh, worked a lot with Cracker, who I played a lot with, and Don was very instrumental in like you go and capture it in the moment, right? Right. And Don was a deep cat who yeah, he worked was a, with a like real mentor for me Keith Richards and vibe. Tom Petty. And I mean, just, you know, he's, he was the deepest of the deep and very influential on our whole camp. The other thing, too, is that, you know, I'm a huge Neil Young fan. 
and actually strangely through Emmy wound up meeting Neil Young. Uh, I met him a few times, but one time uh, at that bridge school benefit, I wound up talking to Neil Young f f about recording for about an hour. And he's just like, you just need to record live. And, you know. He does. And he did. And yeah. so I did subsequently, like within two years of that, I just decided I was going to go make records essentially live. And I did. And I would go, instead of like having like a five-piece band, I'd get an eight-piece band. But I made, I think, three, rec three of my solo records are live in the studio. And I have players yeah. so you can do it. And it just was, it was a revelation for me. It's like, wow. Like, it's done. There was one record we did. There's two overdubs on it. Like, Patriarch's Blues, there's two overdubs oh, in the yeah, whole yeah. thing. And it Cox just... Cockcrow's at Sunrise was done that way, too, yeah, if I'm exactly, not mistaken. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Those were really fun records to make. Yeah. And so I just figured that the monks could do that. And in fact, it was, it was weirder because we're weirder, and I think, you know, the band has a propensity towards really, you know, intense st structures, intense arrangements. Right. But it was worth... Like, it was worth jumping off the cliff. It was a difficult record to make, but I'm super happy with it. And the, and the response to it has been very strong, so I kind of feel like it was the right decision. Again, you know, one of the things Greg said to me, though, is when it was done, is just like, if I make a record like this again, I'll be like 70, so we're not, <laughs> gonna, you know. So. But you will be, you, you yeah. will at some point be 70. And let's hope, let's hope we do have a, let's hope there is a record like this when we're 70. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, my cycle's very long, too. Guys. I get yeah. very distracted. I do a lot of things. I'm like, I call myself sure. a farm league renaissance man because oh, yeah. I make beer and I climb right. mountains. There and you go. I, there's some right there in the kegerator right there. I what else do I do? Uh, I mean, I do this podcast. I do radio. Yeah. I make music. Like I, there's all these different things that I like this, to do. This podcast like, would be enough for me. Probably. Oh God, it's Ooh. a lot of work. And then, it, but again, like you, it's a labor of love. But then it's everything just kind of cycles back around. They're all kind of bouncing around in there. Yeah. So I'm about to do a record myself. So cool. I'm, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that process. And I'm hoping I can have the courage to jump in and just kind of do it. I've always had like limited financial resources, yeah, so yeah. I kind of do as much as I can. You know. I Save up the money and hire the people I know who yeah. can do the job. That's seriously, and it's yeah. like I've you get some good players, and they're there. Yeah. This town has a few good players. I give I've you, heard I give you some numbers. Be, there might be a couple around. You get it, you get it done, and it's it, there's nothing. It's just the best thing, and yeah. like that's the thing. Even though was, we screwed with the recordings on the Bronte pen quite a bit, there was a lot of manipulation on certain levels. A lot of it is actually live and in the moment. Yeah. You know, and that's there's a, uh, any Pink Floyd nerds in the room? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a huge yeah. Pink Floyd nerd and experienced. I got tickets to see David Gilmore when he came to town a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. And he's always honestly been my favorite guitar player oh. all the way along. Ever since I knew what a guitar was, he was always my favorite, it's right? Stupendous. And... And I knew he was coming, and I kind of screwed up buying the tickets. Because like, oh, it's at the Bowl. There's 10 million tickets. Plus, I kind of know some folks. But then I forgot, yeah, right? Yeah. And then I started seeing people post stuff. Like, they did, I think he did Thursday, Friday, Sunday. It was Easter weekend that year. And I started seeing people posting on Thursday, and I was like, I'm about to say a bad word. I screwed it up. Should have bought the tickets. So then I went online. I got some tickets for the Sunday night show, which were not at the Bowl. Sadly, they were at the Forum. So at least I'm going to go, right? The Forum's cool. So then it is, it's cool. But then the bull's the bull. So I'm sitting at my desk that Friday evening, and I'm supposed to work. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I don't get fired for this, but I was supposed to work till 10 that night. And the promotions guy rolls by my office. It's Good Friday. The office is cleared out. Nobody's there. Uh, hey, you, you want to go see David Gilmore at the bull tonight? And what seemed like a 10 hour span, I went through like, should I, what if I get fired? 
I shouldn't go, but it's David Gilmore, and I really want to go. And I was like, I, and then all this took place in probably just a nanosecond. Go to the show. Just so I took go. the tickets. So I said, yes, I'll take the tickets. And then I thought about it for a second because I could give it to friends or whatever. Call up a buddy. I'm going to go. <laughs> Started to feel <laughs> kind of sick. Hey, I'm going home. See you yeah, guys yeah. later. Make a beeline of the bowl. <laughs> meet my buddy there. And it was a transcendent experience. Yeah. Was but, that yeah. was that was Richard Wright still alive? And no, no, band, no. Uh, this was the Gil Manzanero was in the band though. This or? was. Uh, that was on an island. That was uh, yeah. That was before. This was the most recent time oh, yeah. he was. That's through. when I saw him. Here, the the point through. is, I knew it would be great. I I knew it would be kind of a cool thing, but it honestly blew my mind. And I'd seen Pink Floyd with the giant thing that they had, most biggest thing that they'd ever did. Yeah. And this was uh, this was absolutely amazing. But the actual point of this is that I uh, yeah, I work in the industry. I get a lot of free stuff, it's DVDs and CDs and whatnot. I got a DVD set from the, the tour or he did he played at Pompeii. Pompeii. Right. And I got that DVD set. And I was burning through the extras one night after I'd watched the concert. And there's the longest Pink Floyd document like David Gilmore documentary I've ever seen buried in like the third or fourth DVD of that. Yeah. And it was very in depth. And it shows him doing exactly what you guys just did. I think David Gilmore. Yeah. A guy who you think would can hire anybody and do anything is just screwing around doing bringing people in and just having these jams and then kind of assembling stuff out of it's that it's just where the creativity comes you know and i think that's the thing with like with this band is that i know you know the band can play together you just just get us in the slot and we yeah. can do it and you know and i think the thing was is like you know when we when we had done gotten into it and the things had started to structure a bit and some of the songs had begun to reveal themselves then i was like maybe we should have one or two straighter songs. Greg yeah. had another thing, and then we went and did a couple more at Bruce's, right? We did like yeah. three. Yeah. We did Osiris, uh, uh, the James Blood Armor, the... Uh, uh, Last the, Leviathan. Last Leviathan. We did 100, the, uh, the Honorable Death of the 100 Million. Something else, too, I want to say. Didn't we do one other? I can't remember. Well, you brought in the acoustic thing, though. Yeah, but that was... Probably the, that was the one else. that we haven't finished yet. The, uh, oh, uh... The gun... Oh, oh, liberated by the gun. Liberated by the yeah. gun. I don't know. Maybe that. But I think that might have been done. I can't that was, remember. That was a Bruce's. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Yeah. I don't remember. In any case, you know, let's yeah. let's play a song. Yeah. 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 Now here's we, the thing. We We've been talking about the new record, but the, but the first song you're going to play is actually from 19. It's an older song. 1991. All the way back to 1991. It was a simpler time. Yeah, it was a simpler time. And this song is going south, right? Yeah, going south. This is, uh, you know, I think this is kind of a quick, like. It took a long time for me to find a voice as a songwriter, and I think this was one, this is one of the songs that was kind of the beginning of it. And uh, it was, you know, it was one of those things that just, the, the first time the band played it, it's like, wow, well, it's the right, the right band and right song. And it's been kind of a mainstay of our set ever since. All right, very cool. The band this week on Independence Day, Monks of Doom. Check this out. This is from their 1991 record. The song is Going South on Independence Day. To cast this demon out and convalesce my pearls I'm gonna convalesce my pearls And when I finally heal I'm gonna scatter ashes, memories in the dust Memories in the dust And I'll forget you I won't forget 
starts to fail on the wall, beat with sweat, start to fall, and crumble to the earth, it's gonna crumble to the earth, and you'll forget me, you'll forget me, one day you won't recall my name, I won't forgive you. This demon out and isolate my pain. I'm gonna isolate my pain. And when I finally do, I'm gonna cut that part from me and throw it to the dogs. I'm gonna throw it to the dogs. Open all the doors and shake out all the carpets.
My name's Joe Armstrong. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. Come to you Wednesday nights, indepday.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Indepday, also on Instagram at Indepday. This week's guest, Monks of Doom. Man, so happy to have you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I know you're tired. You had a long day of rehearsing. You got a brand new record. Uh, Great song, by the way. We're going to hear some new material before too long. But, Emmy, you just said you met the master. Well, 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 first, I'll I'll say that uh, we were talking about David Gilmore earlier. I. Uh, and Chris will probably confer the first David Gilmore solo record, if you remember that one. It's oh, yeah. called David Gilmore. I have it on vinyl. Yeah, it was right, uh, right so after did I. Animals uh, came out. And I saw Pink Floyd on the Animals tour, by the way. Um, so did I. Yeah, good one. Um, uh, that you guys first... trying to out-Floyd each other? <laughs> Don't get the, I'll they'll, out-Floyd they'll get, you. Start them on Led Zeppelin, and it gets really bad. for the 1970. Uh, anyway, um, Adam Hart, mother, damn it. Um, <laughs> Go uh, again, beep. Uh, but uh, that first Gilmore solo album is almost a template for Monks of Doom in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's like it's true. you know a bunch of in- weird instrumentals in yeah. these weird modes. The first one, Mahela, I think it, mm-hmm. it sounds like a Monks of Doom thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Greg's yeah. all up on that record. Isn't there and, like uh, a Kate Bush cameo like, or something on that? Is there Kate Bush's? No, no, there's a no. no, there's a there's a Roy Harper song. Roy Harper, oh, right. yeah, there's a Roy Harper. Roy Harper. Right. There's no way out of here, but oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great, great album. But but yeah, I had it was about it was when the last Camp, uh, County Crows record came out. We were doing a run of promotion in in England, and uh, we, one of the songs was sort of a hit on the radio. And somehow we got this gig playing on this uh, you know sort of the Howard Stern of England. You know, it was like this three hour early morning talk radio show and. The guests were Counting Crows, who every 40 minutes would play an acoustic song in a small radio studio like this. You know, and there were three of us. It was like Adam, myself, and one other one of the other guitar players, Dan. And uh, the other guest was uh, David Gilmore, uh, who was promoting the new all-instrumental Pink Floyd record mm-hmm. that they just released. And and then it was Hugh Bonneville from uh, oh, Downton Abbey, Abbey, which yeah. I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not. Steady on. I would also say that uh, I'm a huge fan of that show, believe it or not. But uh, and me and about you know 500 girls in Hollywood. So I was like, I got my photo taken with him. This explains so much at, to at me. 6:30 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, for you know, I, and I'm just like, you know, let me get my let me get a selfie with you, Hugh, and and. Uh, and he's, you know, I was like, oh, okay. And I go, I, as I'm taking it, I go, I'm going to get laid off this. <laughs> he's like, Wait, what? Bonneville or Gilmore? Bonneville. Yeah. Okay. Bonneville. But Gilmore was like, you know, come on. That was amazing to yeah. uh, meet him. And, um, you know, I have such a long, long love of his. Yeah. I mean, I play guitar because of oh, yeah. Gilmore, believe yeah, me. Yeah, me too. And, um, you know. Uh, I won't go into the long story uh, I told him about why I love him, and he looked at me like I was insane, which I am. Um, but uh, yeah, he's very, very important guitar player to me. Yeah, and uh, and so it was really something. And then totally. it was really another thing to sit in a radio st- studio and perform. And the one song I had to play some fairly difficult uh, finger pick style. Guitar. Yeah. It was just me and Adam from County Crows doing a duet, and and it was like, and David Gilmore's sitting where you're sitting, just looking at me like, mm, 
Mm, okay, yeah, cool. You know, I was like, gee, yeah. I can't believe this is happening. You know, I don't but, get starstruck very much being in the music business, working one. in the radio business. I mean, people are rolling there's in and out every day, but there's a handful. Yep. Yeah, and David Gilmore of all, like, of ten of the people that would that would like wig me out, he's like eight of them. Yeah. together just yeah, that. just he's... because it's, it's being music being the most important thing in my oh, life yeah, ever yeah. since i was born it and was, this it was a big one yeah and this just yeah. this was confirmed by having seen him do those shows uh, a couple years ago and then the thing i did I, I was even geeked out i even paid the money to go see the uh pompeii thing in a theater I they saw did a that thing. when it came out i did yeah. that and then you know we just got that DVD set not too long ago, and then I got free tickets to see the Water Show, not last summer when he was doing a lot of the stuff from Animals, very right. topical. Yeah, Actually, I, I think that. that Last Water's record is pretty decent. It I is pretty decent. Well, it's a Roger or it's a Godrich uh, uh, Nigel yeah, from yeah, the radio yeah, producer. Exactly. Um, but what I finally figured out, I mean, I guess I kind of always knew this inherently. In we're just we're getting into Floyd, Floyd Landia now, yeah, yeah. but is that That's Gilmore is the music force behind all that and he said in many interviews he's not he's unabashedly said i'm not much of a lyricist you know i can sing stuff but it's that music thing yeah. it's so yeah. musical mm -hmm. waters has a crack band excellent players but it seems to still be missing that huge he's, blowing yeah, light of a, musical genius that thing. is david gilman yeah. and, and it's understated but it's always there it's palpable it you know i think you know Listening to music like that, I mean, that's that was kind of currency for us in, in those late 60s and early 70s records, which I think are super influential, especially on this band, were, you could always listen to those. It didn't matter, like, punk, punk rock didn't have a, punk rock might dismiss the Beatles and um, the Who might be okay, but Pink Floyd never seemed to even get touched by it. And, I, you know, I listened to that Gilmore stuff you know, even up to the wall, which I'm not a huge fan of. And I just, when I listen to our recordings, just like the whole kind of choice of sonic palettes and sinking the guitar into reverb and just doing these kind of like psychoacoustic moves, that's very much yeah. something that we learned from that, oh, yeah. that kind of, uh, yeah. that kind of playing. And I think Gilmore is a fine example of it. And I think that if we just going to go back to like, you know, attention spans, like I, you know, for me, listening to a recording that unfolds like that, you know, kind of cinematically and like, you know, where subtle psychoacoustic choices are made to kind of take you into the story of the song, that's everything about working in the studio. And I still believe the studio is a fantastic invention. Um, and, I, and, you know, it's like, I think, you know, that's what we're fighting for. You yeah. Know? Not that we'll ever be David Gilmore, but we're fighting to maintain that kind of... Yeah. Language. Well, there's so many ways, different ways to skin a cat too, because there's there is the you know just hardcore live in the studio. Sure. And then there's yeah. like a, you know meticulous attention to detail that Pink Floyd were known for with yeah. their especially yeah. their later recordings. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, I have yeah, something but, I call the uh, the Sex Pistols Steely Dan continuum. <laughs> when it comes to like how meticulous versus how raw you're going to be, and Sex you can, Pistols is a meticulous record. Right, yeah. like you, you could you could yeah. swap out different yeah. bands at either end of the yeah. spectrum. It's just for it's just to give a point of reference. Like when I go into the studio, like a particular song, because I produce records too, I'll be like, yeah. okay, this this song is like twenty percent towards Steely Dan. We're gonna we're gonna get down, and we got the percussion is gonna be only on one side. And we're really gonna just sure. very sure. Yeah, yeah. thing. And there are other times where it's like, okay, this is eighty percent Ramones or Sex Pistols, sure. and I don't, I don't, don't even. I can tell you what key it's in. Just go, 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 go. And there's value in both of those things. You it's, know? 
There's yeah, no and rules. it's just so funny, you know, it's just like, I think that one of the interesting things about our, our this particular group of people is like, we see all the value, you know? I think we're happy to make a record live. We're happy to like go yeah. and like completely crawl down into the weeds. There are many people I know, many people who are like very influential on me, you know, I talk to them. I mean, there's a funny story about like, uh, I ran into John Doe, who I've known for years, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we were, uh, I think we were like at Amoeba, and we're going through and buying stuff, and uh, it was when that PJ Harvey record, what when was it? Um, uh, this uh, Let England Shake. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's like, do you like that? And I was like, yeah, I think I've heard this. I think this is really great. And he's like, I don't get that at all. It just sounds like just like crazy weird studio stuff. I just don't get it. And it just, you know, I can understand that reaction, but to me it's just like, you know, I, I, there's, there's, no, there's no right to me. Yeah, there's really it's just like I have... Yeah. I have almost no uh, objectivity when it comes to music. I will literally sit and listen to about anything. Yeah. And there's some things I hate, you know, like don't ask me to go listen to uh, don't name theme from a summer place, for instance. <laughs> okay. Might drive me a little crazy, but, you know, I'll, I'll give it a go. Yeah. You know? I used to, back in the day, I used to date before I knew better, I used to date a lot of actresses. And the musical theater stuff Very was around all the time. Well, this is long before. This is college. This is long before I lived in California. This is back in the plains of central Illinois. And I'm not saying... I mean, some of that stuff is brilliant, the musical theater stuff. But the, the cheese factor, that's something I just don't need to hear that terribly much anymore. Well, so this is interesting you bring up the musical theater because just, I just listened to this interview with Leonard Bernstein's uh, daughter and, um, and this conductor. I can't remember her name. Um, but they were talking about um, West Side Story and the tritone, and they were playing all these excerpts from West, West Side Story to, to illustrate the harmonic concept of the tritone, and I kept listening to those going like, that's the, Mo the Monks of Doom is a tritone band. Yeah, oh, Monks yeah, of Doom is a tritone band. So, you know, don't dismiss musical theater. Oh, it's not dismissed. <laughs> yeah. It just reminds me of a dark period and a lot of emotional strife. Sure. Yeah, see, so, see how that works? It's I, all connected. How about, a, let's do a live song. Uh, sure. What's this? Because this is a new song. What's this? Uh, this is uh, this song's called "Sinking of the Essex," and so I, you know, I uh, lyrically is is the lyricist of this record. I tried to kind of deal with kind of environmental apocalypse was kind of the undercurrent. I can't imagine why you would want to write about I, that. Yeah, it's I know. It's, just, it's not, 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 not topical. <laughs> but wait, wait. So I, give you, I give you the mug to Hold, do. hold, please. Uh, there's a song called Last Leviathan, which is kind of like a subversion of the whole uh, Moby Dick thing. But the Essex was the actual boat that was sunk by the whale that Moby Dick was modeled on. So the sinking of the stick Essex. That that's what we were thinking that. of when we cut. Yeah, that's what we were thinking originally. of. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, well, it's like the Decemberists. They have they get very very into oh yeah con uh, performance art ish kind of things. Not so much lately, but the, like a lot of the earlier stuff. There's I saw them at the Greek a couple years ago, and they did some of the old stuff and brought out the there's like an actual whale or a fish or some kind of giant prop. They bring all this stuff around. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. I I I. It's not pre-thought with me. It's like it's kind of... Theater. I, yeah, sure is. I reversed my it's way into it. No wonder I felt sad when I left the show. <laughs> All right, so The Monks of Doom, this is the song The Sinking of the Essex on Independence Day.
Monks of Doom once again on Independence Day from their brand new record. That record is called The Bronte Pin. Just came out. You can pick it up. Uh, monksofdoom.com is the best place to pick that up. They've got a new Instagram page, I hear. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So it's at Monks of Doom. Indeed. Uh, I, I just, I'm one. I you noticed. You get that on Amazon now, I believe. Yeah, you can get it all over the place. What's that? I'm sorry. Well, the, the record. No, I, yes, yeah, of course. Buy, buy it from us. I'm trying to more. send them to you, man. Yeah, I'm we make more to, money that way. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to push people. I tell people this all the time. Like, If you want to help musicians, the best thing to do is to buy their music. Buy it directly. And the best thing of all, right, was what I was just about to say, is to buy it directly. Go to the show. Yep. yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Find, you know, you might even know them in this town. Go yeah, yeah. get it and give, put money directly in their hand. Absolutely. That's the number merch one table, thing. Merch table, merch, merch table, merch table. Merch table, merch table, merch table. The t-shirts are worth it. Pay. That's what keeps musicians fed and Absolutely. keeps them doing what they do. It's how the rich get richer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, Emmy. Uh, there was a question. I know the answer to this question, but I, I, I put it down as one of my guide questions. I just want to hear the answer. Are there any rules in this band? Huh. Be nice to each other. Yeah, be nice be to each kind other. Be kind to okay. each other. Uh, Greg, you like you had something to add to that. No, be cool no, no. to each other in the pit. Don't don't harsh my mellow. Um, yeah, no, you no know, smoking cigarettes. No smoking cigarettes. I like um, that. Yeah, because we know, never did that. Uh, there, I think there were when we <laughs> were a, when we were a touring entity in the '90s. There were probably were some rules, um, but you know, I look back on that period of time and feel like that maybe uh yeah exactly yeah you know i, I this band it, I, start, it started as breaking the rules right right yeah exactly we had you know we were coming from this kind of songwriter con context for the most part like right. camper and beethoven was a songwriter's band and you know, I was, I was very young. I mean, I think I was 20 or 21 when The Monks started, you know, and I was 18 when Camper started. I was 19 when I wow. went on the road, you know, and I, you know, I was a punk rock kid. I grew up in Riverside. You know, the first bands I was in, you know, you couldn't even finish a song. You'd play for 30 seconds and the whole thing would fall apart. And then, right. like, the lead singer would get, like, busted because he was basically a runaway and his parents put him in, you know, juvie for whatever reason because he stole his dad's car. And Sounds like a lyric. That's <laughs> may may well wind up being one, but that's that's kind of what it was. And so <coughs> these guys, you know, I don't want to give away anything, but they're a little older than I am, and um, Just a bit. they had actually had the experience of jamming, right? Which, especially in punk rock circles, jamming was right. You Verboten. know. Oh no, it was bad. You know, it's just like I mean, basically, I learned to play music. I'm going to play a bar chord. You follow my first finger. On the bass, right? You like that note? You play that note, and I was kind of like, okay, sure. Those were the rules, and then suddenly it turned out I could actually play the damn bass guitar, and you know, Greg and Chris and I would just get together and like go, and there were no rules. That's and Greg's dead on right. That's the the whole idea was we we're just going to yeah. try things, and you know, certainly our influences were coming together. But you know, Chris is like, I like Genesis. Like, what's Genesis? You know, and then. You know, Greg had the Pink Floyd thing, but I had, like, The Fall. I want to sound like The Fall. Right. But you need to put together, like, a band that the drummer's, like, ref I'm referencing Bill Bruford, you know, and Greg's referencing David Gilmore or Richie Blackmore or something, and I'm, like, I'm going to reference Steve Hanley. I mean, those are yeah. some obscure names, but that's kind of, like, Yeah, that sort, of, that sort of describes this band in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right. Do all those different things. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. In some ways, I feel like you guys were thirty years ahead of the curve because you're. You're. I mean, every oh, band's, man. Every band's a mashup of their influences, right? This, this is. But specifically, in the, the whole, one second, let me make the quick point. In specifically in this band, 
compared to like young bands that I talk to now, the guys in my band right now uh, are both of them are under thirty, right? So first of all, they don't get any of my mu- uh, movie references or have my jokes at all. Cultural things were very disparate from uh, from me. Uh, musically, they've done a lot of their homework, but they're a mashup generation. They're a generation that grew up as internet natives. Yep. Everything was always right there. Right. Everything at all times. I remember the way I learned about bands was pouring over liner notes. What's, yeah, what's sure. Air Studios in Montserrat? Yeah. Where is that? Yeah. And then yeah, I had to absolutely. get a book and look up what Montserrat was, yeah, yeah. an actual yeah. encyclopedia, sure. and then figure that out. And then that led me, oh, so... Uh, you know, so and so produced this record, but all I noticed he also was on the Dire Straits record. Right, and I had to build this. I had to build my own internet, totally. build my own network in yeah, my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we and all a lot of us come from that generation where we had to do the work. Yep. Now, again, I'm, I didn't start this to say one is better than the other, so, so much as to say that these young bands, it's just all it's all mashed up. So when you hear a guy, I mean, Beck's not quite that young, but you hear a guy like Beck, or you hear a very young band. There's no compunction about just putting this with that, putting a Miles Davis drum beat with a uh, St. Vincent style oh, yeah. guitar. It's yeah, all it's just world. right there. And you guys were doing that way back we when. Were, we were doing really, we were pushing a lot of envelopes with a lot of different reference points. You know, and like, I mean, there are flaws. And maybe in, with each other. And, and certainly with each other. We're certainly, I mean, there was a lot of tension, but I think good tension in a yeah, certain way. Absolutely. And what I... What I learned at that, I mean, on a personal level, what I learned about that is like, actually, that tension is good, and don't like, don't, don't be obsessed with being right. Just listen, because I right. think there were a lot of things we learned from each other, and I think that's one of the reasons why this band is so kind of precious to me now, because everybody afforded everybody time to experiment and kind of go down whatever path they needed to, and I think that's very important. But the other interesting thing is, you know, I think our earlier recordings, they stand up better than I thought they would. But I still, you know, because I'm so intimately inter- intertwined with them, there's a lot of, there are flaws, and there's some things that I like more than others. But as a whole, I think the body of work stands up pretty well, and I think the uniqueness of the band stands up in a, in a really good way. But, you know, we were trying to tour and, and reestablish after Camper broke up in 1990, you know, became, the Monks became a priority. And we were touring, and that's when Nirvana hit. And it just, like, we were not that. And... It just kind of destroyed us in many ways, you know, and, and you know, I, I, there's no bitterness or anything. It's like things just happen, and it's just what it was. It was a timing thing. It was a timing thing, but ironically, a few years later, I had started playing as a solo artist, and for whatever reason, I was given some dates opening for Radiohead, and they were a very young band. Yeah. And they were super sweet and super good, and the drummer was playing in Odd Time Signatures, and I was just like, Great. We were early. We were like two years. <laughs> it was really just like yeah. two years after the monks stopped playing. And I was like standing there going like, these guys are fantastic. This sounds vaguely like stuff, like passages in like the last monks record. I mean, yeah. it really, like, it was, and it was just like, wow, we just missed the time. And then, then, then subsequently there were a lot of bands that right. were doing, you know, now I say prog rock and like, I mean, you know, when I was Whatever that working means. in an art department, you right, know, these right. guys are like, you're in that. Did you play Monks of Doom? Like, not Camp Van Beethoven. We're like, yeah. It's like, man, I love that band. I had this Italian employee, and I was like, what are you listening to? He's like, Can, Gong, you know, ECM stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's just like, 
He's like that's Prague was always big in Italy. Yeah, it's just yeah. That it's it's, it's weird how that stuff how it's percolated. In this it's interesting way. to hear you say that because it uh, that you kind of lost something when Nirvana hit. Now Nirvana was like a comet that went through the music oh, yeah. world, you know, and I, I, I never liked the hair metal stuff, so I wasn't sad to see that no, go that was, away that at all. That was a good part, right? Yeah, like, yeah. but you were collateral. I, it didn't even compute to me that your band, because you were vaguely proggy, would be collateral damage. Well, here's a funny story. When they were making Nevermind, they were at Butch Vig Studio in Madison, and I was in Madison uh, playing bass for Eugene Chadbourne, who I did a lot of work with at that time. And this is Post Camper, and we were, you know, cruising through. Overwhelming color fast were in the, the adjacent studio at Smart. And, you know, the Nirvana guys were there. And, you know, I saw Nirvana here at Jabberjaw with my yeah. boyfriend. And, like, you know, like, oh, they're good, man. Pretty intense. People really seemed to like it. And we're in a room about this size. Yeah. They were making that record, you know, and we could hear what they're doing. I was like, oh, that, that, maybe that'll, I don't know, might be something. And next thing I knew, I, yeah. I could not get away from it. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, I was actually remember wanting to get away from it. It was just so... It came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, I remember that time very, very distinctly and the kind of music that I was into and... And I didn't dislike Nirvana. It was no, fine. It didn't... It was great. It was weird bands. for me because it didn't... I mean, and maybe, maybe this is me. I shouldn't show my cards, but, like, it didn't feel like they were reinventing the wheel. Absolutely no. not. No. But but the song with the but it songs just struck. was like Teen Spirit was a zeitgeist yeah. song. Yeah. It was just in, in at the time at the and time. the other music that was going on, like you say, the hair metal scene. It was yeah. like, oh good God, thank God. And yeah. it was like But it it, 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 it pulled something. it pulled the scene, the particular the particular club scene that we were playing at the time, it pulled it in a certain direction and suddenly there wasn't really a lot of room for us. Right. You know, it just it changed it changed the paradigm. It changed the rules. It also commercialized it in a yeah. huge way. Yes. Right. Because if that sold so big, right. You know, right. big money was attracted to it. And right. none of those kind of and decisions that those corporations right. make. Every label whole, wanted to go out and sign their Nirvana. You know, so or their many six Nirvana bad, bands. fake Nirvana yeah. bands got signed in yeah. the wake of that. Well, oh, and importantly, going back to something that you know was raised earlier, like there were a couple of networks. There was For us, there was the SST network. We knew Ray Farrell at SST, and we knew a few of those guys. And they give, gave us, we were on independent project records out of L.A., and they gave us, SST gave us the radio list, and basically, like, if you're in this town, call these people. This might be a yeah. place to stay, you know. And it was a list. And R.E.M. essentially did the same thing, and there were these kind of networks that we went through. Also, magazines, regional magazines, yep. Bucket of Brains, and right. like all these different... And the Bob. Yeah, and things the Bob, like that. exactly. Yeah, know, an option out of here and option. things like that. And there was just these... There was just a, a small network of people, and you got your way up through it, and then, you know, there might be somebody like Virgin or IRS and Michael Plin at radio there, and they'd like, you know, we're going to develop you and get you on, and... You know, oh man, just say that sentence again. Develop I just, you. I just yeah. want to hear. Develop that you and get you on the radio, and we're going to give you money, and you're going to lose money for three or four years, and we're going to give you enough money to live wow. on it. You know, and and by the end of, I'd say, I think by '96 to '98, that was almost all over. Yeah. You know, and then it's just been kind of like dour ever since. You know, we've had. I mean, I think. I feel very lucky that like Camper is as established a band as it is yeah. and that we have like this multi-generational audience that comes and sees us and feels uh it, you know they are really attached to what we do yeah. and and it makes 
Monks of Doom possible. It makes yeah. my solo work possible. It makes it possible for, and, you know, and actually I, Emmy being in County Crows allows us to do what we do. And so I think we're grateful, but man, I don't know if I'd want to come up now. Yeah, that's yeah, rough, you know. But I look the, at the, the history of the, uh, the music industry, though, like uh, there was a time when there were uh, visionaries running record labels. Like oh, Emmett yeah. Erdogan definitely developed artists right. and Lenny Warnaker at Warner Brothers did that. You know, there was a time, there was golden eras of these major labels, you know. I yeah. guess Atlantic actually was an indie label originally, well, you know. You know. Yeah. But, you know, there were visionaries who ran these labels. I don't know where they are now. But. And they used to be musicians, too. Sure. Uh, we're taping, and my, my Clark Kent job, my radio job, we're taping an interview with Herb Alpert uh, mm. on Thursday. Now, I've done probably five... A visionary. There I've done go. probably five yeah. interviews with him over the years. I've met him. Great label. You know, and, musician. You know. First and foremost, yeah, yeah. sure. Most and a lot of people don't put like two and two and three, three together to get ten. Mm-hmm. He's the A yep. in A and M records. Yeah. Most people don't connect those no. dots, you know. And the mus- musicians ran labels at one point. Yeah, yeah. you know. And I don't want to make it sound like there was some golden heyday where it was all well. Like, there, money been, there, there have been different but, heydays right. for different labels. Right. You yeah. know what I mean. Right, just like their heydays for cities, you know. Right, but, but it was a, it, there used to be a situation. We talk a lot on the show about the old paradigm versus the new paradigm, such as that either of one of them were or are. Right, right. there was a uh, structure at least at one point, exploitative though it may have been, sure. hard to break into though it may have been. We understood what it was, yeah. right, right, and we could at least work towards what we thought the goal could be. And then when the internet came through. Well, and now it's just it's it's like who knows there are there are as many ways to do it as there are bands doing it now. And, I, sure. and, and it's not sure. you know it's not just the internet I think gaming in particular has really just you know among younger people I know it has really taken a big part of their attention span you know there's things and also just like the ability to get so much stuff you know like when they're on the internet they're not just listening to music right. you know they're video and you know the way. I mean, look, I work. I worked in media for 20 years, you know, uh, ostensibly they were magazines and newspapers when I started. By the time I was done, I was basically making the internet, you know, and we'd be like, well, we have to have a Snapchat channel. I'm like, I don't even know, how, I don't even look at, well, you're going to have to look at Snap. you're going to be a creative director, you're going to have to look at the Snapchat, and I have to, right. like, educate sure. myself in this, and then, like, sure. and then, like, you know, you have to make these Snapchat animations, and Snapchat has all their kind of protocols for making it, and then it just disappears, Right. You know, it's like you think about like how that kind of media interplay as a consumer changes. You know, we are very old fashioned on a certain level, you know, because we are, you know, and it's we unapologetic. And yeah, right. absolutely. You know, it's like I grew up listening to things. I have a really pretty long attention span. I'm happy to watch a three hour movie that not much happens in. If you wanted to do that, I'm you a know, big fan of The Wire. Oh um, yeah! But if you want, if you want to talk about something where it's a lot of people who don't like it say nothing happens, like they don't. There's five seasons of nothing happening now. I am that was more. I probably watched it a dozen times. I'm more than content I saw to watch it the on Wire. HBO and got yeah. me back into watching you know series. The now Wire. like I'm Wire's such a, been hard to top. That yeah, was, uh, was, I'm such a nerd. Like now I'm just happy to see uh, any actor or actress from the Wire pop up in any other TV. Uh, we watched The Post. Right. The other day, I was watching Bosch with uh, the and the chief. Uh, Rondo per uh, was it Perlman, right? The lawyer, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she popped up in the post, oh, and I yeah. was like, ah, the wire, the yeah. wire. It made the oh, movie yeah, ten times that, better for awesome. me. I was yeah. very happy Ooh. to see that. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I can watch Prather Panjali. We would go home and like watch a three-hour Indian movie. Sure, no problem. Yeah. You know, it's like it's just it, that's 
I have a. I just got this Pink Floyd box set. Amy and I were talking about. Ah. It's like hours of yeah. unexplored Pink Floyd. You I'll know, be right over David Gilmore. It's not a problem. And I just people just you know. I mean, just watch people and the yeah. behavior of their phones. It's a very yeah. It's a, Weird, interesting time. And we I could just, go on I, forever. I do want to say before we finish on this particular subject, though, that still, you know, uncontrollable uh, and unpredictable events happen, like that no one could have planned. Like no one could have planned on what how uh, smells like Teen Spirit was a zeitgeist moment. And like just last week, uh, this is America by Donald Glover. Or oh yeah, Childish Gambucci. Right, I mean, right, right. That. That is like a serious event that yeah. that will mark this time. Yeah, everyone is talking about that yep. video, and, the, and it's actually really good. The video is amazing. Video is yeah, outrageous. It's good. It is amazing. He's, he's outrageous, and his his TV show is outrageous. He's an amazing guy. But it, that was like, wow, no one make they couldn't have pla- they couldn't have planned the success of that video. Right, and it's exactly. not an album; it's a song. He released a song on the internet with the video on the internet. That's how yeah. he released it. You know, and it's yeah. like. Wow, that was as big a. I was totally confused. It's like I want to hold your hand or something, right. you know. And I was watching this, going like, I did an article on the guy. He's an actor. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And it was, yeah. and but then the video was just like blew my mind, you know. And my I, girlfriend just figured out that that was the same guy. Yeah, just, it's just yeah. like four days ago. She's like, Hey, wait a minute, that's that, that's that guy, that other I just, guy. I just went through the first season of Atlanta, genius mm. show, you know. Mm. But I think that's actually why I like live music and why I, you know, yeah. really essentially, I mean, I feel like the monks. Like Monks of Doom is a live band, really, more than anything else. Yeah. And I think that for the same reason that you can't predict those events, that's why I defend live music as a thing that people do because like you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and you can't. You know, I'm I'm with the guys who like put the phone away. I mean, I'm not going to tell you. I don't care. You do what you want to do, but you can't capture it. You just got to be there, and you walk away with something that you know. If it's a yeah. group of people, people can change. Like music can change the whole environment. Of a room, it can change oh, yeah, your exactly. your feelings about the day. It can change your feelings about your life in a moment. Absolutely, you know, and it's that's that's the calling, you know, and that's yeah. why people should do it, you know. And I think that that's why I'm just going to keep doing it, you know, because it's like I I know I can make pe- I can improve people's yeah. quality of life by yeah. doing it. They tell me that, yeah, and I'm like, okay, that's that's valid enough. Goes back to the original reason when I set out to do music as a as a young man. It's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to make people feel something. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Could be happy, could be sad, could be anger, could be peace, could be whatever. But as long as it seemed to me like in my generation, Gen X, right, people weren't feeling it. It seemed like, yeah, you know, or they were feeling too much and then kind of numb to that feeling. And you know, there's a lot of pot smoking in my high school and a lot of sure. numbing to those kinds of things. Yeah, and I, yeah. I wanted I wanted to go the other way. I wanted to immerse in that and make people experience something anyway well, that was my goal yeah out. i you know you you be lucky enough to be in our situation and be in a band for 30 odd years and you know, people come up and say you know i can't tell you what this means to me and they say it about camper and they say it about the monks people say things at solo shows now but like you know i you know this keeps me going or whatever you know and, and it becomes a weird responsibility and the other thing is I had just look and it's like, well, how the hell do I keep this economically going? Yeah. You know, it's because it's like, it's yeah. not easy. No. But it's, you know, I think it's rewarding in its own right. What sounds great. What you're doing sounds great. You've got one more song. What yeah. is this last one we before I boot you out of here? What is this? Yes. Uh, this is a song called The Better Angels of Our Nature, which is also on, uh, on Meridian, which uh, was our 1991 album. And this is kind of a long 
standing audience favorite. And we used this phrase before it became a regular kind of Trumpism, you know, appeal to, it's a Lincoln quote, the better angels yeah, of yeah. nature. And it's, I, at the time I thought it was unique, but now in the age of Trump, it's, you know, monolithic. Ugh. Don't get me started. It's let's a whole not, different let's podcast. It's a different show. It's, it's a, a different, different show. Podcast. There's a Pink Floyd show we got to do. And we can, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. really want to yeah. do the Trump yeah, let, show. No, no. I don't want to do that. It's enough. I don't want to do that either. It's, 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 I, I get it plenty. Yeah. I get it plenty. All right. Monks of Doom, one last song, The Better Angels of Our Nature on Independence Day. Gentlemen, Monks of Doom, thank you so much. Such great music, such great stories. I, you know, 
when a band like you comes in, I could spend all night talking about this. It would probably take some beer. <laughs> I got to get up really, really early for I radio drive, gig. man, but yeah. You know, next, next, next time. Next time. You know, we do have bands come back. You know, when you have a new radio, we have bands come back. We do a shorter thing. I call it a fast forward. So let me know when the next record comes out. I'd sure. love to have you come in. It's so much fun. I, That'll be Greg seven will years. Be 70. Yeah, <laughs> at this rate, yeah, at this rate, that's, 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 that's another 10 years from now. But yeah. we'll all still be at it. We do uh, it for the right reasons. It's I do It's got to be faster next time. Sorry. <laughs> but good work. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming out after your long day of rehearsing. I wish you the I know you've got some tour dates coming up. Best Indeed. of luck on those tour dates. Travel safely. Have fun. Take the music to the people. That's why we do this kind of thing. Absolutely. And then I'm sure there'll be more dates through the fall. Yep. Uh, the touring cycle, they call it in the business. Yep. So you're going to well, keep at it. Yeah, cycle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cycles, Jerry. Cycle. Cycles. Man uh, cycle. And if you want to keep up with them, they got a brand new Instagram page. Also, monksofdoom.com is where to find any information you need to know about Monks of Doom. So, Victor, Greg, David, Chris, Emmy. Yep. Of course. Yep. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it so very much. Thanks a lot. So thank you to Monks of Doom, also to the Independence Day staff, Del Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, Sally Shackleton, and Dorothy Juneses. The quirky Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Thank you, Loke. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society, great indie band out of Michigan. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. As always, if you do one thing this week, please be good to one another.